Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given throughout the area. Today's show features Father John Tregilio and his talk, The Eucharist, recorded at the Gift of Faith Conference in June 2010. And now, Father John Tregilio. The Most Holy Eucharist is the greatest treasure that we have as Catholic Christians. It is the most precious component of our Catholic faith because it sums up the whole Catholic faith. It's not the only part of our faith, but within the Eucharist is found the totality of our faith. Every doctrine, every moral teaching is connected to the Most Holy Eucharist. That is why it's more than just a thing. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. It's the Word made flesh who dwells among us. It's no accident that Pope John Paul the Great's last document to us before the Lord took him home was entitled, Mane Nobiscum Domine, Stay with us, Lord. That was the phrase that the disciples on the road to Emmaus said when they didn't recognize it was Jesus, and they had been talking to him, and he was explaining the scriptures to them. They were downhearted that Jesus had died. And even though some had reported that he was risen, these guys obviously didn't put much credence in it because they weren't running back. They were going back to Emmaus. And then our Lord explained to them all the scriptures and how they were fulfilled. And then he acted as if he was going on further. And they said, stay with us, Lord. Mane nobiscum domine in Latin. And the Pope's letter was on that idea that Jesus stays with us in the most blessed sacrament. When do they recognize that it is Christ? At the breaking of the bread, which is the first way... The Bible describes the Mass. The breaking of the bread is another word for the Mass, the divine liturgy. The breaking of the bread. When Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body, he disappears. Why? Why at that particular moment? Because now he's present in the Blessed Sacrament. It would have been redundant for him to be standing there holding himself. Think about it. Once he said, this is my body, it becomes Christ. So he'd be standing there holding himself. He disappears once he pronounces the words. And they recognize him. Recognito. In Latin. To recognize is to know again. Mother Teresa Blessed Teresa of Calcutta focused extensively on that concept of recognizing Christ in the most blessed sacrament. She says, you can't recognize someone you don't know. It's ontologically impossible. To recognize, to recognito, is to know again. You have to know them for the first time. You know, if if you uh, watch any of those crime shows, don't they haul you in down to the police station and look at the mugshots? You know, 
if you've never seen the perpetrator before, you can't recognize them. You could only recognize someone you've seen before. As a Christian, we can only recognize Christ if we know him. We can only recognize him in the Eucharist if we've known him first elsewhere. His presence is mysterious. We talk about the real presence of Jesus in the Most Blessed Sacrament because it is a very unique presence. The Council of Trent solemnly defined for us, but so did the Fourth Lateran Council when it talked about transubstantiation, that in the Most Blessed Sacrament, our Lord is really, truly, and substantially present. The Second Vatican Council reaffirmed that. In Sacrosanctum Concilium, the first document on the, on the sacred liturgy, it reaffirms in paragraph 7 that the presence of Christ in the Eucharist is par excellence, the fullest presence of Jesus. However, he's present in other ways, not in as full a form. One of the problems is that, as usual, people take the text out of context. Any of you have ever watched the show I've done for eight years with Father Bob Levis, that's one of his pet peeves. When people take the text out of context, you get a pretext. When somebody takes a, a text out of Scripture and says, what about it says here, call no man father, you call your priest father. I said, yeah, well you show me in the Bible where it says the word Bible, and then we can continue on. They don't know where to go with that. Because the word Bible's on the Bible, but it's not in the Bible. <laughs> See? And who put it on the Bible but the church? When St. Jerome was translating the text from Greek and Hebrew into Latin, he called it the Bible, the Biblia in Latin, all right? The Greek Biblios, because it meant a collection of books. But inside the text, you never see the word Bible. And so many people say, you show me where it says that in the Bible. And then you say to them, you show me where the word Bible's in the Bible. But what we see in the Bible, in the text, is that our Lord is present to us. Well, that's mine going off here. <laughs> well, now you know it's the hour of mercy, because it's set to go off at 3 o'clock every day to remind me, Okay. Within the text of Scripture, we see our Lord speaking to us. So obviously, Jesus is present whenever the sacred Scriptures are read or proclaimed. So whenever you read your Bible at home, or especially when you're at church, and the priest or deacon proclaim the Gospel, Christ is present in His Word. They're His words. The Holy Spirit inspired the sacred authors to write every single word in, in the Bible. So, in a mystical way, Christ is present in sacred scripture, wherever it is read or proclaimed. But his presence is different than that in the tabernacle. He's mystically present when the scriptures are read, but he is really, truly, and substantially present in the Holy Eucharist. That's why you do not genuflect to the Bible. We bow, we kiss the Bible, we incense the Bible. They carry the book of Gospels in procession. The Pope and the bishop bless the congregation with the book. 
but nobody genuflects to the Bible. It's a book that has words in it. In the tabernacle is the word made flesh. In the tabernacle is Christ himself. So there's a distinction, a big one. But nevertheless, we can say with confidence that Jesus is present when his word is read. Whenever the sacraments are celebrated, they're celebrated in the name of Christ. So when the priest or deacon baptizes or marries a couple or hears confession, any time when the seven sacraments are celebrated, Christ is present as that sacrament is being celebrated. But it's not the same presence as in the tabernacle. We have Christ present in the person of the ordained minister. When I was ordained a priest, when Father was ordained a priest, Monsignor was ordained a priest, we were ordained to become an altar Christus, another Christ, so we could act in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. So we can say, as we do, at the altar, this is my body, this is my blood. We don't say, this is Jesus' body, this is Jesus' blood. We do that at communion time, the body of Christ. But at the consecration, we use the words Jesus used, Because he's using us. We speak in his name. So whenever the priest is functioning as a priest, he's acting in persona Christi. Now when we misbehave and cause scandal, we're acting on our own. Okay? So when the priest sins, that's not Jesus sinning. When the the priest is misbehaving, not doing what he's supposed to be doing, or doing something he's not supposed to be doing, that's the individual person misbehaving. But when I stand at that altar and say, this is my body, this is my blood, thanks be to God, you're not eating my flesh and my blood. All right? You'll get sick. (laughs) Terribly sick. That's why communion time, I say to you, the body of Christ. Not the body of Father Tregilio. I say the body of Christ. And yet, at the consecration, I say, this is my body, this is my blood. But even though Christ is present in me because of holy orders, it's still not the same as in the Blessed Sacrament. He's not truly, really present in me in this, as he is in the, in the Eucharist. That's why you do not genuflect the priest, and nobody does, believe me, <laughs> especially these days. <laughs> Nowadays, you usually get a wave of a finger or a throw of a tomato, okay? But... Christ is present in the sacred minister. He's also present where two or three are gathered in his name. He's present in this room. For we are, are we not gathered in his name? So here he is in this room, two or more gathered in his name. We've read scripture. He's present in scripture. He's in the person of the, of the priest because of ordination. But in the tabernacle, in the blessed sacrament, He is present in a very unique way. In fact, the text of the Vatican Council, tumaxime, is used. It means in the fullest sense, he is present in the most blessed sacrament. So it means that the other presences are not equal to his presence in the Eucharist. The text is clear. And when you read the paragraphs before and after chapter 7, it even makes it more clear. And yet, 
When I was in the seminary, we had a theologian who tried to tell us Jesus was as present in the Eucharist as he was in all the other forms. So then that's why when one of my classmates said, well, why don't we genuflect to the, to the Bible or why don't we genuflect to the priest? He said, you shouldn't genuflect to anything, including the tabernacle. Needless to say, that fellow left the priesthood and is no longer teaching in any seminary. And I can guess why. If you don't believe what the church believes about the Eucharist, you don't believe about God. It is the quintessence of our faith. It is the very essence of who and what we are. It is the proof of God's divine love. Stay with us, Lord. Why did they say that to Jesus? It wasn't because they were lonely. All right? There was a couple of them anyway. Once they realized this man had wisdom, once they realized he knew what he was talking about, don't you say to someone that you love, stay, stay a little longer. You know, someone comes to visit you, a real, 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 real good friend or relative that you like. Okay? I don't just say any relative, but a relative that you like. Don't you say, can't you stay an extra day? Can't you stay another hour? Now, if it's someone you don't like, like an in-law or, you know, someone that you work with that you're not too happy with, you say, geez, time flies, isn't it? you got a plane to catch, don't you? Stay with us, Lord, was a sign of love. Please be with us. And what did Jesus say in the gospel? I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I am with you always. He's always present in the Eucharist, 24-7. He's always there because he loves us. Now, what is a divine coincidence, but I think it's more divine providence, Pope John Paul's last letter, Mane Nobiscum Domine, and Pope Benedict's first letter, Deus Caritas Est. A lot of people don't see the connection. One flows from the other. Stay with us, Lord, and Jesus does, because he loves us. And Pope Benedict explained the two kinds of love. The eros love and agape love. And he says it's not that one is better than the other. He takes a different spin on it. For centuries, people have sort of made it sound as if the only real kind of love was the sacrificial kind of love, the oblative love, and that the other kind of love was inferior, the possessive love, the eros love. And the reason for that was is that many times it was taken out of context and it was separated from the oblative love. So when it was taken by itself and not connected to oblative love, possessive love becomes selfish love. But when it's always presented in its proper form, alongside, along with, connected to, oblative, sacrificial love, then it stands as it's supposed to be. An equal partner. It's like two sides of one coin. And Pope Benedict's insight in that first letter of his was brilliant. He said, even though our secular society has distorted eros love so much that now we only use the word to describe the completely, totally selfish, perverted type 
of what they call erotic love, which isn't love at all, but the real essence of what the church understands as eros love, or what we more accurately could call possessive love, is that you want to have. You want to be in the presence of the one you love. Stay with us, Lord. When someone you love is with you, you don't want that to end. Did you ever see a couple just recently fallen in love? They can't stop being with each other. And when they are physically separated, what are they doing? <laughs> I love you. I love you too. They're texting. They're tweeting. They're Facebooking, whatever you want. A friend of mine, you know, she's got a, her son is uh, just uh, found a new, uh, not a new, but made a more serious girlfriend a, a year ago, and they're constantly on the phone, constantly text messaging each other, and then when they have the opportunity, then they spend time together. That's the way it's supposed to be. God's no different. Why did he create you? To know, love, and serve him in this world so you can be happy with him in the next. He wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. He loves you, so he wants to be with you. And if you love God, don't you want to be with God? Don't you want to spend time with God? Don't you want to spend eternity with God? But if you love yourself, who are you going to spend eternity with? Yourself. That's the essence of hell. <laughs> All eternity with yourself. All right? Even though there might be a million beings in that area, you're all by yourself. All alone. Miserable. Where in heaven, you're with people who want you to be there and you want them to be there. You might be scratching your head asking yourself how some of them got in there, and they might think the same about you, but you're happy they're there nonetheless. That's the one component of love we must always remember, the possessive part, because that's the first thing we experience. Don't we say, this is my mother, my father, my husband, my wife, my children? We use a possessive word, and it's good. We take it in proper context. This is my parish. These are my people. And you say it with pride. This is my religion, my faith. That's my God. There's nothing wrong with that. But the possessive always has to be accompanied with the oblative. And that's what Benedict XVI points out in his letter, Deus Caritas S. God is love and he's the fullness of love. He's oblative love and he's possessive love. So God wants to be with us. He wants to have us. But he's also willing to sacrifice for us. He's also oblative. He's willing to let go. He's willing to sacrifice even his own son. God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. Jesus loved us so much that he surrendered his life. The son so loved the father that he surrendered his will. Not my will, but yours be done. That oblative part of love is as important as the possessive. We need both. It's not that one's better than the other. And that insight, I think, of Pope Benedict is something that we can capitalize on because it gives us a better understanding of the Holy Eucharist. 
The Eucharist is above all else a sacrifice. That is not only the teaching of the Council of Trent, but the Second Vatican Council. Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution of the Church, the Holy Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. It centers on the sacrifice of Calvary, of Jesus' death for us, made freely, lovingly. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. At the Last Supper, when he took the bread and the wine, he separately consecrated them. This is my body. And then he gave it to them. This is my blood. That's why to this very day, the priest at the Mass, whether it's the ordinary or extraordinary form, does the exact same thing. We separately consecrate the bread and then consecrate the wine. Why? When you separate body from blood, you have death. It's a reenactment of Calvary. But it's the unbloody reenactment. Thank God. I get yelled at for spilling uh, wine on the, on the altar cloth. Can you imagine if I spilled blood on there? My sacristan would kill me. And imagine when you're going to communion. Thanks be to God, the appearances of bread and wine remain. That's so that you and I can actually ingest what we're receiving. Because if it looked and tasted like flesh and blood, unless you're one of these creepy Hannibal Lecter types, all right, that they lock up, nobody is going to go to communion, all right, if what you get tastes like flesh and blood. But it doesn't taste like flesh and blood. That's the outward appearance, the accidents, the substance. What makes a thing what it is has changed. The substance of bread and wine has been changed into the substance of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. That's why we use the verb to be. This is my body. This is my blood. Now imagine Jesus is saying this, and we see this John chapter 6 when he says, you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood. My flesh is real food, my blood real drink. And then he even cranks it up a notch. You know how, you ever watch uh, Emerald on his cooking show? Bam! All right? Well, Jesus throws a bam out there when he changes one of the Greek words, okay, in John's Gospel. You know, one word they have means just to eat. Another means to devour. Okay? Like when an animal is hungry, you just choose the thing until it's completely gone. And that's the word he uses. He uses first throgo, then he uses the word phago. And changing that word intensifies the image. Not only must you eat my body and drink my body, you must devour. You must hunger for my flesh and thirst for my blood. Problem is, we as Americans are so used to snacking we snack on the Eucharist. I hate to say it. Not like you would... Well, I hate to say this too. Some people actually, the way they go to communion, they act like they're receiving a potato chip the way they receive. That's bad enough. But spiritually speaking, when you snack, is it because you're hungry? No. It's a habit. You're at the movies, you buy a bunch of popcorn. You can't watch a movie without popcorn. Your favorite TV show's on, you've got to sit there with something. You've got to gnaw or gnash on something. But it's not because you're starving. And as people who snack in the physical realm, we snack in the spiritual realm now. We go to communion because it's convenient. It's there. 
But do we go to communion because I'm starving for Christ? I'm starving. I'm hungry. I need him. I want him. I want to be intimately united with him. And in Holy Communion is the most intimate union with Christ. That's why it's called communio, to be united with Christ. So that in St. Paul's words, it's no longer I, but Christ living in me. We should be so united with Jesus that you couldn't even just tell the difference between the two of us. That's how united you want to be. But unfortunately, because we're so used to going to communion so often, like Father said, the communion lines are getting longer, the confession lines are getting shorter. People are snacking spiritually on the Eucharist. Well, it's there. Everyone else is going. Let's go. One of the great things Pope Benedict has introduced is a little extra reverence at communion time. I was with a group of priests, the Confraternity Catholic Clergy. We had a meeting in Rome this past January with our Australian counterparts. And we had Monsignor Marini, who's the Pope's Master of Ceremonies, gave us a talk. And he said, if you noticed, the Pope's done a few little, little things differently at, at Mass. Got six candles on the altar, a crucifix. But at communion time, he puts a little kneeler and asks that the people receive communion on the tongue. Now, he has not mandated that around the world that everyone has to do it that way. But since he's already done it, means it's an okay thing to do. So as soon as I saw it, I put candlesticks on my altar, I put the crucifix there, I put the kneeler out, I make it, I tell to my people, look, it's still your option. If you want to receive kneeling or standing, if you want to receive on the tongue or in the hand, it's still your option. But for those who wish to, this will be more available to you. And believe me, the ones who never knelt before, because it's more convenient to kneel on the kneeler than on the floor, more people have been kneeling. And guess what? Communion doesn't take any longer, but I see more reverence at communion time. That one extra half a second that people need to just to stand or kneel and pause and think, what am I doing, has increased the devotion. Completely optional, but that was what Monsignor Marini said Pope Benedict's strategy is. He's not going to shove down anything down anyone's throat. He's going to make it available. But he says when that crucifix is on the altar, the priest is looking at Christ. He's reminded, this isn't about me. It's about him. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.